Hey, Pie Tribe, have you gotten your ticket out of the rat race yet? I'm talking about the free guide, Five Ways to Earn $5,000 a Month with Passive Income that could be yours right now. All you need to do is text the word PIE, P-I-E, to 33777 and get your copy today. Hey, Pie Tribe, buckle up for a new episode of the Passive Income Examiner, the number one podcast for budding entrepreneurs and business owners looking to diversify their income with passive strategies. Welcome to season two, focused on building successful online businesses with evergreen marketing solutions. I'm your host, Lindsay Sutherland. Thanks for joining me. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Passive Income Examiner. Today is a guest. We have a great guest with us here. And I just want to ask you a question, Pytri. Before we get too deep, I just want to ask you this question. Have you ever been curious about starting an e-commerce store using a private label physical pr- product model? Something you've, you've thought of doing for yourself and you've just really wanted to dive into that, but you're not sure where to start. You're not sure who to talk to. That is what we are talking about today with our special guest. His name is Neil, and he asked me to introduce him as Neil is fine. So everybody, now you know. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, most did people can laugh. You, you put that on there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally don't remember putting that on there. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So he, Neil's the CEO of Bolton. He's responsible for over $100 million in sales between his personal businesses and his direct students over the past 10 years selling on the Amazon FBA platform. So we're going to talk about how that's possible for you. Thanks for tuning in as always. And thank you, Neil, for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, Lindsay. I appreciate it. (laughs) My pleasure. Let me guess. Did you have somebody else fill that form out? (laughs) (laughs) My assistant did. (laughs) Come get her find out what she's doing with these forms. (laughs) That's no, awesome. Here's what I think she did. She just was trying to say introducing him as Neil is yeah. fine. <laughs> but she Right, didn't. like that, yeah. Well, because <laughs> like, my last name gets brutalized so many times on these calls and people don't always ask up front, how do they say my last name? And it's only three letters, but you can kind of mispronounce it or just call it out like, hey, TWA, like it's some sort of MBA or PhD or some kind of acronym, which it actually <laughs> isn't because I'm, I'm a six foot five guy with a small name. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, you never know what people are going to say. You just never know. Oh my goodness. You know what? You got to have a little fun in life. Otherwise, absolutely. You know, it's just as boring. <laughs> right. I say to everybody, I'm in, yeah. I'm in business for fun. I'm in business for people and I'm in business for profit. Otherwise, what's the point? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's hear a little bit about you. How did you get to where you are today? I will skip the boring points only my mom would care about and get to the meat of this. Um, in essence, I had two tracks to take and we'll, in life. And that started after high school. It was, you know, do I go to the Air Force and, and become a fighter pilot, which had always been my dream? Or do I go to college, which was actually my fallback position? I got rejected by the Air Force because I'm too big to fit in the fighter pilot in a seat. And because I couldn't do that, I'm like, well, okay, I guess I go to college. So I basically lumbered along in college, not wanting to be there, not really wanting to study, fail out a couple of times and realized by my third year, I'm not terribly old, but the internet had come full blasting in and we were getting computers and networking at the you know, down at the, the lab level and stuff. And nobody knew how to do this. So we were doing it on the fly. And I figured out real quickly that this was fun. I was interested. I enjoyed it. I wanted to know more about it. But no one could teach me it. So I had to stay in academia and try to figure out where that was going to go. 
or I needed to jump to the corporate world because there was at that point who had the money to spend on these machines and networking equipment, et cetera, that was coming online, right? And so I went in, jumped in the corporate world, started consulting, gigging, worked myself up into Sprint as a contractor and, and programmer, and then uh, hired into Sprint PCS right as the first mobile phone was launching. I got to be a part of that and watched that company explode from 5,000 to 80,000 people in five years. Due to the work there and, and the good results that occurred and my efforts inside that business, I got uh, basically handshaked into IBM. So I went to IBM and worked for almost five years. Knowledge management systems, customer support, technical products inside businesses within businesses inside of IBM's clients and had a lot of fun with that. But by the time I got through there, it was kind of, do I want to go to the partner level or do I want to eventually do what I originally thought I was going to do and kind of own my own business and get out on my own, which is really only what I wanted to do when I left college in the first place. But this was the time and opportunity, so I did. And I've spent since 2007 building a series of companies. I've had opportunities. I've bankrupted a company. I've reinvented myself and started over. Back to my original roots of lead and traffic and e-com and then discovered I, uh, you know, there was this big engine of products called Amazon coming online. This is around 2011. And I said, oh my gosh, I want to be a part of that. And so for the last 10 years, that's where I've stayed focused. Due to the opportunity, due to the expanse of it, due to the unlimited potential of products and e-com, and how fast that marketplace has grown to 38% of market share, I've stayed focused on physical private label brands with e-commerce, building the companies, growing, scaling them, and exiting them, selling them, and acquiring them. So that's predominantly what I'm focused on now in my life. I live in the country on 40 acres, like 45 or 48, I forget now. We homeschool, we live here, we do our lifestyle as a business together now. We travel, we spend our days, we learn, teach, and I do podcasting and, and help my clients and build my companies. So I have what I feel is a true lifestyle driven business now and have the aspect and privilege of being able to work on squirrel powered internet in the country out here that's super expensive. <laughs> I can <And> relate. <laughs> yep. One of those park squirrels goes down. We got to go out there and replace it and can, you know get the internet back up. But I kind of live it like living in the country, discovered after city and city and living in New York off in Manhattan and living in Kansas City and living in oh, and living in bigger cities most of my life that really my hands in the dirt is kind of where my soul is. So mm -hmm. in the Ozark Mountains of Missouri, I've kind of found my soul out here for about 10 years in the country now. I absolutely enjoy it. My peace and tranquility in it and uh, just uh, made a business that would allow me to do that. So is that something that you desired? Mm -hmm. Did you find that desire before while you were still working for IBM and these other I companies? Did. And then you kind of thought, I want to get out. You did. I did. Well, I had kind of that odd experience that uh, <clears throat> rich dad, poor dad scenario. It turns out, you know, my dad's hardworking guy, 30 years in the same job, retired, just a, a wonderful, amazing, hardworking guy that taught me about ethics and business and ethics and life. His, his track was very different than my uncle's. My aunt married a gentleman who was more business oriented. He'd started a company. They were building boats and stuff in San Diego. I had a lot of conversations with him over the years and had a very different approach to business and mindset, a very opposite viewpoint. And so I always knew that I wanted to follow him at some point. Not that what my dad was doing was wrong. I just thought I there are different things that I could do. As I got into technology and the internet started coming online, I'm like, yeah, I, I want to do those things. And he helped me kind of mentor through that. Got a little bit lost when he died in 2006, because when he disappeared, there was no more sounding board for me at that level. But he left me with a lot of traits and understanding and, and a realization that at some point I was going to leave. And that's when I left in 2007. IBM made it easy. They said, you're going to leave with early retirement or we're sending your job to Argentina. I'm like, well, I'm not going to Argentina. Mm. So that opportunity <laughs> came up and I jumped on it and got married the same year to my wife. who has been with me for now 15 years married, 17 years since we started dating. She and I got pregnant, not but six months after all that happened. She was an RN with a BSN and degree. She was home health, very smart. 
She was going to go to be an MP practitioner, but then life kind of changed thing. When we got pregnant, unfortunately, it was a very difficult first pregnancy and she ended up on bed rest. So I ended up being kind of the primary provider with no income and in our household all in the same year. So I left my job. We got married, got pregnant and had zero income in the first year. So if anybody tells you that there's a right and a wrong time to start a business, <laughs> there's no perfect time. I mean, because you could have never planned that and never saw or foreseen what would happen in the next year. And I'm not, uh, I'm not against people waiting and preparing a little bit, but at the same time, you just, you don't know it's arrogant to predict the future. So at that point, you know, people are like, well, wh why did you decide? And where was this big decision? And how did you come to this conclusion? And did you have enough money? No, 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 no. Double dough. Like I didn't have enough money to sustain all that, but I had drive and intent and I figured it out. But what I really found my true calling was serving people through physical products, finding solutions and filling a need with a product serving those people with those products and have found basically a, a, a niche, I guess, if you will, and serving people through the Amazon marketplace. And I've done that for the last decade. And I've been able to bring quite a, lot, quite a lot of people along with me for the ride, which has been great. So how do you, how did you toe dip into it like that? You know, you, you saw mm -hmm. Amazon, which, you know, I have to say, I think it is so cool how many lives have been blessed by Amazon. I mean, you know, Millions. They get a bad rap. There's so much oh, there's sure. so much publicity about all the yeah, decisions absolutely. that they make and all that. No but doubt. when you really think about it, they've helped so many people escape the rat race, build a business within their brand. I mean, it's right. actually quite cool, really. It really is. With about two and a half to 2.7 million sellers on Amazon, Amazon's own statistics. And it says that that's basically 80% of the income from the dot com. So that means all those small businesses, individual wow. entrepreneurs, et cetera, are powering that ecosystem. So it's still in that way, an opportunity of competition and fair market. Should Amazon choose to do something with that money, kind of beyond me. <laughs> if they choose to be, you know, have corporate greed or choose to not follow policies or make decisions I don't agree with, you know, that's my choice to act as a business owner or in whatever stewardship or angle I feel necessary to change. At that same line, you can see what Facebook and then any other platform has done. You've seen what Shopify has done with people's accounts. We've seen merchants shut people off for things. So when you're playing a game in someone else's world, which is literally everything on the internet, because even this provider restream might even be using Amazon's web services behind the scene to make this web service come up. There's a lot of things we just have to kind of play around a bit. And with, if all possible, not, you know, lose integrity, don't cross any ethical lines and just try to do good business and help people. And so that platform has become a great place for new people with no experience to become great sellers and great, great money and, and do life changing things. I've witnessed some amazing things over the year. People who've changed and had an opportunity. I had a 19 year old high school dropout make seven figures a month. Right. And wow. he had a phobia of people and came to one of our first events with his mom because he couldn't get on the plane by himself. But now he travels the world. He's, he's got a, a fiance and he makes his money in his business. He lives off his laptop and he's living that style. And that's so cool wow. to watch because <laughs> he's completely yeah, different person really. now. Yeah, that is so cool. You know, and a lot of people have this preconceived notion that you can't make money on Amazon. I actually did a post uh -huh. recently and okay. <clears throat> one of the comments was, no, this is a waste of time. Like why nobody should take advice from her. Right. It's it was oh. interesting. And yet, like you said, there's 20 billion million dollars and all that crazy statistics. Uh -huh. It's just a a perception, right? So I'm curious from your perspective and, and helping the people you've helped and seeing the translation, uh, the transformation that has happened within your own life. Yeah. What is happening to the people who are getting that perception? What are they missing? Like what's this uh -huh. gap for them? Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
I can speak from my own experience because in the when we got started, we flipped products on Amazon for profit. What I would say now is really kind of a pure capitalistic environment, which I don't really subscribe to pure capitalism. The end result is capitalism and the means of moving method and product and service and providing something in return for a profit is a huge component that makes all this work. Now, there are components of that type of thing that you can do. And, and one of them is like shop your way to wealth or flipping products and retail arbitrage or doing these kinds of things. And a horse, you know, wholesaling FBA, even getting signed up with some of these companies that are supposed to do the whole thing for you. If you give them, you know, 50 grand and they split 50% of the profits and you're supposed to get this passive income check, right? Most of those turn out to be scams. And I got story after story after story of people coming through my network, losing tens, 20, 50, hundred thousand dollars or more being scammed out of that. So I think what is happening is there's this perception that it's going to be super easy. I can flip a product for profit. Every product I flip is going to have profit and is going to be easy to find. I think it's because the marketing has told people there's this real opportunity with passive income. That means you don't do anything like you just push buttons. And I think that's been very overused. What I refer to it in my ecosystem is almost automated income. If I can work 10 to 15 hours a week, and the majority of the other efforts are mostly automated through the systems I've set up, the processes, the SOPs, and the things I put in my business. That's not a that's not a bad shape, but I still have to work the business and I still have to do the work to get it to that point. So if I simply throw something against the wall and it doesn't stick, do I say the whole wall is broken? Or do I look at it objectively and realize, well, maybe I didn't throw the right thing on the wall. Maybe I should throw 10 more things on the wall and see what happens. So I think what I see in the pattern of behavior is a lot of people not wanting to put in the work or putting in a little amount of work, expecting an enormous amount of results. And when that hope, dream, hopium aspect, okay, of that marketing online comes through, they're simply underwhelmed by the results. So in my experience, no business becomes a 1% hyper growth strategy without four, five, 10 years behind it, pushing to that overnight success. And it makes it look really great in six second sound bites on TikTok when you come up the reality is there's work to be done behind it. There's work to be done in the business. There's understanding the business and there's actually looking at the products and making them profitable because we chose private label brands. And we started this about a year after we got through Amazon realizing the real money, this was in 2012, was in really making brands, organic traffic brands, organic and, and emotional connectivity to the brand and actually producing something people fell in love with, would tell their friends, family and buy more of it. So it's really hard to do when you just flip enough few products that maybe you got from a pallet or picked up at the clearance auction at Walmart. So at this point, we looked at it from a brand perspective and changed the whole approach to the way we were marketing. Because of that, we came up with processes, something we call a green light spreadsheet, which is literally all the cost associated with running one product, one unit on Amazon for sale and ensuring that there was profitability for us in that unit. If that product did not pencil in through those metrics, sourcing, marketing, advertising, shrinkage, all the other things you've got to consider for that unit to be sold, including buying one more of them so you can reorder a new one, then you don't know what your real profit is. We call it going by the numbers. And many people don't actually know how to go by the numbers. And some of the folks are running their households like they run their businesses. <laughs> Wonder why we're in trouble. We need to be looking at the fundamentals of that business. We need to know our numbers. Yours might be a little bit different than mine, but I want a product on Amazon that I sell in a private label brand to not have less than $12 in net profit per unit. Okay. That means I'm ordering another one. I'm paying for marketing services. People I might've hired the business costs and operational cost of that product movement and logistics all the way till one unit is purchased through Amazon. And I'm getting $12 in profit to me for every unit sold. Now I have some basis of numbers to make more products and become a portfolio of products in my brand. 
And that runs into my 90-day cash flow plan and a profitable annualized run rate in my business to making it a profitable company. So many people don't focus on those basic fundamentals. They don't know how. Maybe they haven't been taught. Maybe they didn't experience it. Maybe they've been oversold in the wrong angle and don't understand how it really works. But Amazon can be profitable when you pencil the numbers in correctly and you attach it to the right solution and put the right product in place and you can sell millions of dollars of them even today. Mm -hmm. That was actually going to be another question was how saturated do you think it is getting? Mm. Like, is it undersaturated, oversaturated, just right? I mean, what's your position on that? Amazon kicked out around 300 to 400,000 accounts in the last two years by our estimation. Those accounts were building fake reviews, nefarious activities. They were playing outside the terms of service. They were jacking with it. They were Chinese sellers and hackers. They were messing with the system and hurting Amazon's brand. And because of that, Amazon has now put in more brand restrictions and compliance restrictions for sellers in the marketplace who want to create great brands and want to sell correctly and giving us inroads and brand managers to help us make sure that we're in compliance and doing the right things. So when you operate at the right level of business, you're going to get the support you need when you're in playing around with the system, flipping products, not doing it in a business and doing it on your personal accounts. You're in essence telling the enterprise, now nah, you're not really serious. You've got a side hustle or a hobby business, but you're not a real business. So you're going to fall into certain levels of compliance in the system that I don't. When I register my brand and business on Amazon, I go into a different level of compliance inside of their departments, right? Even on the algo that manages compliance inside the marketplace, I'm at a different level. At that point, I elevate brand management and I elevate products and services, and then they unlock more things for me. They unlock features and services and the ability to email those customers inside Amazon and tell them about my other products. They support the brand. So at the end of the mm. day, if you're acting like a business, operating like a business, managing it like a business, putting intrinsic value into the business, intellectual property through the process, even down to trademarking it, then you are showing Amazon we're a serious business. We're here to play. And Amazon wants you to win. So it's not saturated in that approach. It is saturated if you're just approaching one of those other five seller methodologies that I just spoke about, right? And all those are doing is just creating a job. We took a run at that, okay, in 2016. And for 18 months, we rolled up a 20,000 square foot warehouse in Utah. We had 12 employees and we truck rolled on a wholesale FBA, 10 trucks a week. All right. We were moving a massive amount of product very fast and we got to very high revenues. The problem was after cost operations, people and simply flipping that product, we ended up working 80 hours a week, making a triple net like 7%. When our triple net and our private label brands with virtual assistants and no employees is still doing 25%. So we looked at the balance and thought, well, that was a crime of opportunity and a very dumb thing to do. And we shut the whole thing down. But a great learning lesson. Like what everybody has learning lessons, right? We're not immune to, mm -hmm. <laughs> to failing or making, yeah. you know, opportunistic decisions. We all are all victim. But how how bad it gets or how worse it you know, how bad it affects you, I guess, is is the outcome. But we learned that that was not a smart move. We also learned very quickly that Amazon doesn't want you to play that way. And when you get that large and draw their attention, they don't like it. And in fact, they shut down one of the largest sellers, sellers just shut down that was doing that model on scale, pharma packs, and they were completely shut down. One of the largest sellers on the platform, but all they were doing was flipping other people's products. They couldn't keep the profitability up. On the other hand, Amazon has now seen some of the largest Amazon originated brands started on Amazon have now exited between 300 to $650 million, one just about three weeks ago for $650 million. They started on Amazon, they got into retail and then another channel for direct consumer selling through their Shopify store. 
and they exited for 600. I think it was around 630 million, if, if I'm not mistaken. So the opportunity is very much there when you go through the products and choose them correctly and know your numbers. Yeah. So that, okay. So question for you, mm -hmm. you create a product yes. and that in and of itself is a whole topic. But besides that, like, let's say you create the product. Are you only selling on Amazon or do you, I was going to ask you, do you have a Shopify? Do you, are you set yourself up as like a e-commerce store? Yes. Because sometimes like I know when I'm shopping on Amazon, I could click here to connect with the seller and like go check out their other stuff on yes. Amazon, but I can go off platform. So you yes. have both. We do. Okay. We do. Don't just sell on Amazon FBA. It's a, we call it channel locked. Channel locked is, is where products or your strategy is to just predominantly focus on that channel. Once a channel for us and Amazon opens up to over seven figures and we've proven the market opportunity, profitability of that brand on Amazon, we will take that brand into multi-channels. We'll take it to Walmart, mm -hmm. Etsy, eBay, wherever else it makes sense or Wayfair. And then we'll open a Shopify and direct a channel, direct a consumer marketplace with ads, Facebook traffic, et cetera, and use the assets, brands, and property from that Amazon experience, which we know is now working. And we then open, take profit and open up those new centers and expand. We'll go out to radio, television, ad, net. We can go to, you know, Amazon is literally, and, and Kevin mentioned this the other day, I've forgotten this, but it's like the ad, new as it's seen on TV. Because if you see it on Amazon, you're going to look backwards, like you said, and discover what other things that are happening in the world. And if you don't have an Amazon channel, but you're only direct to consumer, you should know that those clients, some of them that are working with us now to open their channel are experiencing anywhere between 15 to 20% of their spend on the front end channel marketing is ending up on Amazon buying someone else's product. So if they're doing large amounts of money, more than 100, 250, a million dollars a month on a direct to consumer channel, they will now be able to easily see an ROI of opening that Amazon channel because they're losing between you know hundreds of thousands of dollars a month in some cases, paying for the customer over here who goes over here and buys the competitor product on Amazon. So I analogize right. it to, to the old sense. school, right? Because it used to be if you didn't have a business in the yellow pages, you weren't a real business. Then it moved to, well, if you don't have a brochure website that shows you're a business, well, you're not a legitimate business, right? So now we evolved into the e-commerce world. And if you don't have an Amazon presence, you're not necessarily seen as a legitimate e-commerce presence online, okay? People will find you, they'll buy other products. It's so much easier to click add to car on your mobile phone and to go through and miss, you know, determine whether that seller that you thought about on Facebook that disrupted your cat memes or your video postings or whatever is actually worth buying and safe buying from, right? Exactly. The trust factor. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Cause I've done that's that right. where I've shopped for something and I'm like, Ooh, but if I don't want it, I don't want to have to deal with their returns or blah, blah, blah. I know blah. my it's RMA like process. Amazon makes it yeah. so easy. Yeah. There's an equation we have for that. It's called similarity plus familiarity equals trust. So we're going to go in and find products that we can innovate, similarity. We're going to bring about features and stuff that create more familiarity with our brand and the value proposition of that product. And we're going to leverage Amazon's trust and authority to sell it into the households directly through their FBA or fulfilled by Amazon infrastructure. They deliver last mile to the door in one hour in some places, right? So instead mm -hmm. of me spending hundreds of thousands or billions of dollars opening warehouses and deployment, et cetera, I leverage theirs. Okay. It's a leveraged asset. It has its pros and its cons, but it's still a leveraged asset. Because of that, I can then move a lot of product that I don't have to touch. I don't have warehouses. I don't right. have employees. I can live where I want and I can still move a lot of product into the marketplace. So yeah, it comes down to understanding the product and the solution oriented aspect. Let me give you a little thing to think about because it sounds like you are an Amazon seller. If you went in to your order history and you looked back in your Amazon order history for the last 90 days, okay, and you looked at all of those products by Amazon's own statistics, seven out of 10 of those products are sold by third party sellers. 
which means you have ordered third-party seller products from people like me and never actually maybe realized it. So what does that right. tell us is an opportunity? Is there more opportunity to be one of those sellers or less, right? Statistically, there's more opportunity because if they're selling it, why can't I? And when you start to think about it from a seller position, you are an avatar of someone who bought that product. Is there another person like you in the market that would buy another one of those? Well, the logical conclusion is yes, right? They're in the market, there's others. And by Amazon's admission, again, most of them are women, 27 to 40. 630 million in sales a day are coming from mostly women, 80%. Okay? What does that mean? It means that there is an opportunity to present a brand to those folks who want to buy a solution-oriented product for whatever solution they're trying to solve. Okay, it could be a baby mirror to put in the car to make sure the kid isn't choking when they're reversed in the seat, right? It could be a new vacuum. It could be kitchen towels. It could be a lot of things. But there's a solution-oriented aspect to the product they're buying. And there are at least three tiers that they're from when we look at them as a buyer. When we look at them and how they're going to consume, we notice that there's one, two, three tiers, low, medium, and high buyers, okay? That means people who are willing to spend $30 or less, who are going to be more conscientious of reviews, they're going to look at price points a lot more. They're going to question a lot more of the authenticity. They're going to have a lot more questions. There are buyers who will spend 50 to 125 who we consider to be tier two. Those are more solution oriented, okay? They're looking for a solution. They aren't just price conscious. They're like, is this the right answer? I don't want it to hurt my kid. I want it to help them. I want to run faster. There's a problem. There's a pain point being solved. You get above that point, obviously the pain points must be larger. The product solutions are very different. Sometimes you reach a different level of affinity and emotions, which is the same level of affinity emotion you're going to feel at the $30 price point. So we typically play in the $50 to $300 range in terms of our retail price points. And at that level, the retail price point, after all costs, goods, et cetera, are penciled in in our spreadsheet, there is profit in there for those kinds of products. When I go and sell a product below $30, I'm now looking at very low margins, a difficulty in compensating myself and employees or contractors with me and a difficulty in marketing that product and taking over market share. I am now in more saturated selling, which you mentioned a minute ago, can be a problem. If you choose the right avatar, with the right solution, at the right price point, you're overcoming three major objections to becoming a successful seller on Amazon. Awesome. Wow, that was really helpful. The other question that I would ask is how cumbersome is it? And maybe hmm. this is twofold. How cumbersome could it be versus how cumbersome you <laughs> how how much well, you felt that, when uh, it comes to like designing your product, sure. when it comes to like absolutely finding the person who's going to engineer and designing the label and whatever else goes into. I will tell you if you go something. figure it out on your own, you can spend three to five years and half a million dollars <laughs> doing it. How do I know that? Ask me personally, I should say across my career. You can <laughs> learn a lot on your own and do the wrong mistakes and find the wrong way and the wrong path. What we do now is because of our history and because of what we learn not to do, we now have paths and processes for making that very easy, very simple, and following a methodology to do it, okay? Including where we're going to uh, source our products from because we have sourcing agents on the ground, uh, feet on the street all around the world. We have a U.S.-based global supplier relationship out of New Jersey. We can create brands in 10 minutes no one's ever heard of. I have a graphics and sourcing team that's extremely experienced in building the product images, graphics, and things. We have a listing teams that creates high converting listings in Amazon for the right copy, right avatar, right presentation. And so we are able to fast track those now to market and be able to produce an innovative product. Here's very important. Innovate, don't invent. Okay. People think I need to be the most unique product no one's ever heard of. That is not actually true. What we're simply going to do is innovate a product. We're going to take a cheap, like example, cheap Chinese 
piece of plastic that you might stick between your legs and buy from Walmart and go banging down the hill back of Pikes Peak. Or we would innovate a product that has the gel cushion, removable, washable hole in the middle so it doesn't crunch and munch your goodies so you can go banging down Pikes Peak with less pain. So there are different elevations of each product type and innovations of those product types that we know are in demand. We know people are already buying. We can make slight changes to them, pros and cons from what would be good, what would be bad, what's different. You don't have to take a whole lot of innovation to make those changes, usually three to four max. And then you can present that product back to the buyer market and say, look, how about this one? This is a much better, drying, easier, less painful product for you. Would you like this one instead? Oh, wow, I'll pay a little more money for less pain, less whatever. So it doesn't take a lot to innovate and create those products when you understand what to focus on, like all those revenue generating activities, the RGAs. What is actually going to make me revenue? All, everything else is just activity masked as productivity, kicking tires and spinning wheels, right? Not making yeah. us any money. Mm -hmm. And so we want to focus on what just makes us money, putting the product in the market makes you money. Okay. However, imperfectly yeah. you do that. And so we have, you know, the imperfect aspect of this going forward to prove the product and brand actually works. We refine it and tweak it once we start to see it selling and optimize it for scale and growth, because now we've identified the market. We know it's in demand. We know it's selling profitably. And that becomes our seam in Gold Mountain, as I refer to it. Instead of over here in Dry Gulch where everybody else is panning for little tiny flaked, we found our seam of Gold Mountain and now we're just going to follow that gold trail because it will literally just keep revealing to us the gold that's in that brand. Additional products will continue to launch and then it's just a matter of time and process and market. So in your experience on average, how soon do your students see a return on all this work and energy to get started and get started? We actually have a performance goal that if they work with us in a one-on-one -on -one relationship for 12 months, we are going to achieve 100K in net profits in the first 12 months or less, okay? Part of my performance goal is based on that. Part of my mentoring fees are based on it. And if we don't hit that, I guarantee they don't pay that portion of my mentoring fee. So we have a time and performance-based goal. Within th four to five months, products will be launched in the market, growing and scaling. There'll be a month or two of optimization and a month of launching process to ensure what product is getting visibility. So if you research my case studies, if you look at my verified reviews as well as my verified case studies, you will see a pattern that at between six and 12 months after market launch is when the brand matures, the products take off and the real fun begins. So most people are hitting 40, 50, 100,000 or more in months six to 12 as the brand matures inside of Amazon's marketplace. So it's just a repeatable ROI scale that if like, for example, if I'm going to deploy 100,000 into this for year one, I want to see that 100,000 come back in year one. Okay. How it comes back profitably is more important to me than revenues because that's just vanity. Profit is sanity and cash flow is king, right? So to make that actually work, I need an ROI of a base case model. So my five by five plan is getting five products in the market. Those five products sell an average of just five units a day. Pretty small, right? But if my profitability is $12 in unit, okay, I'm making $300 a day in profit. That's $109,500. A year, check my math on that. I think I got it right. 109,000 in five a year, right? So I know that in my base case, I launch five products at test market an average of five sales a day, that I can grow and scale them if they just stay that way past 100K in profits in 12 months. Now I'm gonna put on marketing. I'm gonna optimize them. I'm gonna remove some of the ones that aren't doing great. And I'm gonna add more fuel to the fire as we go along. That turns into our mid case in business. 
So if we set up a base case expectations, I know what my ROI is. I know what my capital is and my capital outlay would expect, expect to be within 12 months, what my return should be on those products in the market. And then I evolve that in the business of marketing, which means I'm going to launch PPC campaigns and ad campaigns inside of Amazon. And I'm going to go after my competition, who, by the way, has less profit than me and doesn't understand what I just told you. So I'm going to go in and buy their customers away from them. And I'm going to prove to Amazon's algorithm that I am the best seller of data inside of Amazon. Not that I'm selling the best products to the customer, because that will be proven when the whole loop closes. When they give me a seller feedback and a product review, that closes a loop. Amazon sees that and goes, yay, you're being a good seller. We like that because this was our customer and you treated them nicely. What we're looking at is I want to be the best data metric provider for that technology inside of Amazon that is basically determining whether I get more sales or a competitor who's already in the market gets it. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Makes sense. Absolutely. So it's all statistical driven. It's all a scientific <clears throat> process we follow through doing that. Love that. Love that. This is really good information. All right. So where can people connect with you? Where's the best place for them to find out more about your service? Yeah, absolutely. You can go to Voltage, V-O-L-T-A-G-E-B-2-B. That's the number two, B2B.com. There's a free training there. It's a podcast with myself and Kevin Harrington. He's a partner in my portfolios division. He's the original shark from the Shark Tank. Really good guy. He sold about $5 billion. He calls Amazon the as new as seen on TV. So you can check out that podcast I did with him, which explains the model, the business, what we expect in terms of some of the things that I didn't quite mention today in detail. And I give you a free training course in the email as well. So you can understand some of the five major things all sellers need to do uh, to actually be successful in this, including the product research, knowing the numbers, how to look at the market, how does the algorithm work? I take you into a full course. It's free on my email and you get a chance to check that out and see a little bit more about what Voltage is doing with our clients in the market. Love it. This has been super. Thank you so much. Thank you. Eye-opening. I mean, a lot of information here for people. So be sure, Pi Tribe, to, to connect with Neil because, you know, when you're really looking at building up, a, actually, this actually leads me to one more question I was going to ask sure. earlier and I forgot. Would you say, because I was going to say build up a brand, this is for people uh -huh. who want to build up a brand and sell on Amazon, but is that a real thing? Like, do you advise people to build products all kind of around a certain, like, maybe mountain biking, like maybe the, all the mm -hmm. products are mountain biking related, or does it really yep. matter? No, we call it a uh, niche. You know, you know, the niches are in the riches or riches are in the niches, as they say online. And so the aspect of me approaching a market where I'm going to brand something for outdoor enthusiasts, I'm then going to put products in that brand that are all segmented around that. So if I sell him the $99 gel cushion bike seat, I'm also going to sell them the $5,000 bike. I may sell them the two $2,500 paneers and the backpack and the outdoor gear and the water. I'm going to literally anything they need is going to be a part of that brand. And that is going to create a longer customer lifetime value for the people within my brand. And that's where the real money is made in this, right? It's not made on the first product or the first click to sale the first time somebody touches my brand. It's when they stay with me for 12 months and spend more than $1,000. That's when the business gets to mm -hmm. be really fun. Interesting. And I really think it's cool that you illuminated the fact that you have levels within Amazon and can start right. emailing within the platform because that's something else I've heard other Amazon coaches say, or I should say e-commerce coaches that stay away from Amazon because you can't connect with your client or they're always trying to sell someone else's product over yours. And like, as yep. if there's like this untapped, you know, competition. Oh, and by the and way, so buy my Facebook Shopify. course or buy my Shopify course or buy my drop shipping course. Because if you ask what's happening on the back end, they're typically slamming Amazon because they want you to do something else to pay them. 
I yes. can slam Amazon or so. UPC. I don't care. The end result is there's opportunity in both directions. You just should just understand that if you're really going to compete in e-com and have a holistic customer e-com experience from a real true business model, you're going to want multiple channels. Amazon should be one yeah. of them and it should be a serious model. And by the way, within the terms of service, you can get customer data from Amazon. Now it's going to be voluntarily through the customer and you have to do it within their terms of service, but you can get up to 30 to 40% of the customers who buy from you to give you their data voluntarily and want to be connected with you. So there's a lot of misnomers that are put out in the marketing world that say you can't do these things and Amazon wasn't help you. When in actuality, when you reach a level of selling and understanding and certain features and things are unlocked because you are a brand and you have gone past some of this nonsense that you hear out here all the time, then you actually see that they want to work with you. They want you to grow and they want you to stay on the platform because they want you to elevate their brand. They don't want to be Walmart. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be eBay. And if you're out there trying to turn them into that, they aren't going to play nice with you. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Thank you. This has been wonderful. Thank you.